Hello and welcome to the Surgical Spirit Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Haider Al-Hakim, the Third Eye Doctor. Pull up a chair and get ready for some candid and uncompromising discussion with experts, innovators, agitators, and influential people from every corner of health and well-being. From inside the hospital to at home in the kitchen, we're leaving no stone unturned in our quest to uncover the secrets of healthier, happier, more successful, and less stressful lives. Thank you so much for joining us, and without further ado, let's meet this episode's guest. Today's guest on the Surgical Spirit podcast is Paul Webb. Now, Paul Webb is not a stranger to this podcast. He was on the first series, episode number six, I believe, and I first met Paul at a business meeting about four or five years ago, and um, he was one of the keynote speakers there. And he was talking about mindset training, and um, he was very good. Um, I was very uh, drawn into him. Um, and the thing about Paul is that he's very, very energetic, particularly when he's speaking. So when you see him live and you see him performing, um, he gives off a great uh, level of energy, and that's what I liked about it. Um, and then I had him on one of my events, uh, which was awesome as well. Um, so I've, I've invited him back here today again. And if you guys don't know who Paul is, well, Paul's, um, uh, he's an ex, uh, professional footballer and he's been in the, in these, uh, performance game, peak performance game for over three decades. And, um, yeah, I mean, he's worked with uh, Hollywood actors, he's worked with uh, Olympic athletes, world champion athletes, entrepreneurs, CEOs, uh, film directors, music producers, musicians, even royalty. So, you know, the guy's been around the block and um, we um, we discuss, you know, uh, a few esoteric things here, a few spiritual things here, but you will certainly enjoy it. I certainly did, um, and the great thing about Paul is that he um, explains the complex stuff in in a simple way, and I've, and and I've always loved that. You know, people who are able to um, explain complex things into simple things. Hope you enjoy it and uh, have fun. Hello, this is Dr. Haider Al-Hakim, the Third Eye Doctor, and thank you for tuning in today to the Surgical Spirit Podcast. And today we have the one and only Mr. Paul Webb, the quantum mentor, or the modern-day Alan Watts. Which you turned, which is fabulous. Thank you so much. I, I never, ever thought I'd be mentioned in the same breath as the magnificent Alan Watts, so thank you ever so much. You're, you're welcome. I mean, it's... It's great that you talk about these things, you know, talk about spirituality, talk about East and West, yin and yang, the positive and the negative, the opposing forces. And, um, and what's good is that, you know, you are talking from science as well. Yeah. You know, you, know, you love science. I do. Yeah. And it's sort of fascinating. Yeah, I do love science. I, I also, for the record, uh, love spirituality as well. And uh, the past 30 years, I've, I've tried to reconcile the two. 
to see where they fit together. And I believe that, um, you know, in my own observations and speaking to hardcore theoretical physicists and those on the metaphysical scale, that the, there is a coming together of these two philosophies, the science and the, 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 the metaphysics, if you like. Well, that's re- really reassuring, Paul, because, you know, I've had an issue with that for a long time as well. Mm. You know, coming from a very spiritual background, and yet I am steeped in science and academia. Mm. <clears throat> um, do you think that they're kind of equal, or, or, or do you think one has more of an upper hand than the other? I, I would suggest that it depends who you ask that question to. Uh, you know, if you if you go to a hardcore scientist, they'll. No, they'll I'm say, asking you, Paul. I'm asking yeah. you. Personally, I think yeah. it's the yin and yang of everything. Yeah, right? yeah. It's the yin and yang of everything. So, so for me, they they are they are the same, spoken yeah. in different languages. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's quite interesting because we had um um a really uh, great scientist who's who's really religious as well. And he talked about, you know, the most compelling story. That's what worked for him. You know, what gave him the most compelling story. Right. To give him that understanding. Of, uh, Isn't that how we all learn, though? We learn via story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the best way of giving examples and showing. Um, you know, sometimes we're all set up differently. We, some people are more academic than others. Some people more yes. esoteric than others. But we all love a good story. You know, that's why we go to the movies. You know, we can suspend disbelief. We can watch a story unfold and we can buy into it. We can relate to the characters. We can get emotionally involved with it. And we love that story element of things. And, and, and what was your most inspirational story that really caught your eye? That got you into oh. kind of like, you know, uh, the esoteric, so to speak. Whoa, well, it was the old, um, I don't know if it was a Zen Tao or a Taoist Tao um, of the farmer, um, the Chinese farmer whose horse escaped from the farm. And the neighbours came and said, that's unfortunate. And he said, maybe. And then the next day, the horse returned and brought 12 wild horses with him. And the neighbours came over and said, that's fortunate. And he said, maybe. And uh, the very next day, the son was trying to break in one of these new stallions and he fell and broke his leg and the neighbors all gathered around and said, that's unfortunate. And the farmer just went, maybe. The day after that, the army came through to take all the kids away to war and make them soldiers. And they left the son behind because he had a broken leg. And the farmer said, maybe, when asked if that was fortunate. And that kind of really it got me thinking about this concept of right and wrong, good or bad, you know, the opposing forces that we speak of and that actually it's all perspective. It's all a point of view. We look at it through our own lens and that's what really got me going. That's what got me triggered. Cause I found that interesting that someone can see something happen and have such a, not an uncaring attitude, but a detached attitude that it might be good. It might be bad. Who's to say, and who are we to say? Things happen in our lives. Do they happen for us? Do they happen to us? It's a point of view, right? That's kind of what got me thinking in slightly different ways from the traditional, this is science, it was MC squared, this is light, this is matter, this is energy, to suddenly thinking, okay, there are different ways of looking at this. That, that was the trigger, I think, years ago. 
and how can we translate that into uh, our everyday living and, and, and everyday jobs? And, you know, for example, your sort of average stress doctors uh, in the NHS or in, or, or in private healthcare, how, how, how can we tra- translate that into, into everyday living? It's, it's not easy, first mm. of all. Um, when you look at, you reference uh, stressed doctors, um, there are obviously issues there uh, throughout the national health. Uh, these professionals are clearly uh, stressed. They're clearly tired. They're, they're clearly um, working far too many hours, probably not taking care of themselves as, as well as they could. Um, and those are issues that have to be um, addressed at all sorts of levels. But from a personal point of view, uh, if you're looking at how can we look at things that are happening to us and reconcile that, um, it's about expanding our own awareness, I think. You know, if we become aware of certain things, then we become much more understanding of why we're experiencing those things at that particular time in our lives. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and sort of how we react to different things and why we get upset, why we get elated, yeah. why we get happy, why we get sad, the positives, the negatives, and we start understanding ourselves, essentially. I think so. And I think a lot of it, 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 this opens a real can of worms because you're talking about things like ego, you're talking things about perspective, you're talking about things like awareness, and you're even talking on a much deeper level about consciousness. Um, and um, it, it takes a bit of understanding it takes a bit of dare i say awakening um for the individual to start to see things in a slightly different way you know if you um if you look at things that have happened in the past that you've overcome you know if these things happen to you now there's not a problem you don't consider it a problem because you know you have a solution to it but when you first faced it you didn't have that answer you didn't have that solution so there we cl- classified it as a problem so we gave it a label you see we're very good at labeling things where we have this uh, dual view of things right so we are here everything is out there including problems including stresses and stressors um uh, you know including experiences but you know, in Eastern philosophies and spiritual texts, it talks about there being a reflection of here. Mm. So it's non-dual, it's non-duality, right? It's the mm. same, one and the same. Consciousness is a reflection of ourselves, right? So uh, what we see out there is a reflection of, of what we're feeling inside and the experiences we have, the thoughts that go on inside of us and our belief system more, more than ever. Mm. You know, when you're looking at stressed doctors, you everyone knows because it's a it's a it's a paradigm it's a belief system it's a story that doctors and nurses are stressed doctors and nurses work long hours doctors and nurses suffer from fatigue it's in the collective consciousness of that industry Mm. right so junior doctors nurses that train and go into this and this this can happen in any industry in any Mm. walk of life there are certain collective stories around that thing we buy into that and we buy into that and then we experience it because we're in that story. We're in that conscious awareness of it. And I think it needs that awakening. It needs that elevating of our own individual consciousness to change that level of collective consciousness and collective story. Yeah. I mean, it's not something that, you know, we can explain in half an hour or 40 minutes. It does take, no. um, 
some time. <laughs> sure. You know, you know, we can't say it takes years, but it does take a a, a long time. And and you know, as Carl Jung says, it's you know, it's a process of making the unconscious conscious. Mm. And and there know, has to be the will to do that, of course. Yeah. You know, I mean, I mean, it, it, it takes a level of maturity. It does. Um, and it takes a bit of transcendence because ego will have us believing in separateness. Eva, ego will have us believing in that this is the way it's always been. Therefore, this yeah. is the way it has to be. Yeah. You know, you see that a lot in sport. As you know, I come from a sport background. Yeah. You know, and although um, sport has modernized considerably, in a lot of sports, the training that these athletes undergo is very similar to how it was 30 years ago. Yeah. Because it's almost, well, this is the way we've always done it, so it's going to be the best, whether it's true or not. So the secret is to sort of reach levels of transcendence. And would you say that going to levels of transcendence is more powerful than ego-driven tasks does that reaches closer to increased consciousness i think that the um the role of consciousness is to experience itself and grow and expand and evolve Mm. and Mm. i think that means leaving ego behind personally Mm. yes Mm. 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 um mm. and it's very difficult uh, I know that's a story. I know you tell me that's a story. Uh, the industry is driven by ego. As know. are most industries. Yeah. yeah, yeah, And most of life, you know, um, we, as soon as you, um, look, we, we, when we're born, right, we have no conscious awareness. Mm. Our conscious awareness doesn't really form until about seven years old as a child. And you can start to question things, you know, of your own volition. So you are open subconsciously to influences and beliefs and mm. story um, from day one. Right? Mm. You're just a font of, of drawing in information. And there's a very good evolutionary reason why that could be the case. Because if you think about it, you need to know the tribal um, people, you need to know the customs, you need to know where to go to eat, you need to know what to, not, not to eat, who to address, who not to address. It, it allows civilization to develop, it allows evolution to move on. Right? It, it, it's a way of programming very quickly without having to question everything just by showing. Mm-hmm. You know, we have these mirror neurons in our brain, you know, the old monkey see, monkey do ones that we can sit and observe someone, see what they're doing, and we, we can do it. Uh, this is a great thing to have. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, yeah. it takes away a lot of trial and error. You just get on with it. The problem there is, of course, that who's to say that those stories and those beliefs are correct mm-hmm. or, or, or beneficial in the long term? You know, they may have worked 200,000 years ago. They may have been beneficial 50,000 years ago. But in 2020, as we're approaching quickly. Yeah, yeah. we've moved you know, on. Yeah. We've moved on. But ego hasn't. Ego still keeps us there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, we do need to catch them early. We need to catch them early and teach them to unlearn, essentially. This is the thing. And, you know, this is kind of, um, this is what I spend my days doing. Mm. Uh, I, I, I peel back the layers for people, yeah. you know, these layers of conditioning, these layers of, you know, uh, of programming, uh, these, these paradigms, these belief systems, these stories, and just, you, you know, I call it self inquiry. Now it's not my term that comes from Byron Katie, I think, mm. but it's a great term for me because it's all about asking questions. You know, you have a thought, you question it, 
Mm. Is that true? Mm. You know, just by having that thought, you know, you can, you can kind of get a gap, you know, uh, Victor Frankl between stimulus and response is a gap, mm. right? Mm. That gap is where you want to be because that gap, that silence, that's ego free. That's presence, right? Mm. That's being in the moment, being in the now, being present. That's where power is. Mm. You can't be powerful if you're thinking about something that happened 20 years ago. And you can't be powerful if you're anxious or stressed about something that could potentially happen in three years. Mm. You're giving away your power. You're giving away your authenticity. You're giving away yourself. Mm. Right? The mm. only place that you can truly be you is now. Right? That's the beauty of it. And that's why unraveling all that crap that's happened over 30, 40, 50 years is essential in my opinion. And, you know, the more you can be in this space, that you, you know, the more likely you are to be there and the longer, if that makes sense. And then the more um, good ideas, I guess, you get or, you know, better answers to your life situation. Yeah, and also, you, you, if you're truly focused and present, you know, we've all done it. You know, you, you know this concept, flow state, right? Mm. When you attain a flow state, you transcend time, you transcend space, you don't get hungry, you have unlimited energy, you get shit done, blah, 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 right? Well, that's a state we can all attain, but you can only attain that state in the present moment. Mm -hmm. You can't attain a flow state where you have peak performance, where you transcend the limits that we believe we have to create stuff, right? You, you can't do that if you're worried about, you know, what you're going to have for dinner tonight or what your neighbor said to you three years ago. You just can't pull yourself away from it. Mm -hmm. Being present is power. You know, presence is all about, you know, you come from a very spiritual background. You will know about some of these teachings about the power of presence, the power of being in the moment. If you're as a surgeon or as a doctor, trying to learn new techniques the best way to do it is to be completely present with the task you're doing mm -hmm. not not mm -hmm. thinking about what's going on yesterday or tomorrow mm -hmm. uh, it's as simple as that I, it, it, it's a very beautiful thing finding that moment finding that stillness finding that quiet that silence and then producing from there it's very very different to thinking three or four things at once and trying to do this that and the other and you know I applaud you and I'm so enamored and, and, and in awe of what you're trying to do in the medical profession about helping doctors with burnout and, and et cetera, et cetera. But it takes a huge paradigm shift from the whole industry to make that actually work. Mm. You know, you start mm. with the individuals and then you have to go bigger and bigger and work with the industry itself. Yeah. That's a huge task. Yeah. 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 I, I, I was, I, I, I just had this thought uh, and, and then it went, well, I, actually it wasn't a thought. It was being in the present and I had that space. And I, I, I want to say that it was just so seamless when you're in, when, when you're present, yeah. Yeah. It, it just flows um, like proper seamless work, not like yeah. Apple. Um, <laughs> whereas, whereas the thought process is just so piecemeal and so, uh, like a process essentially yeah. one thing yeah. after another after another after another and after another but um, look how we set up our days you know our entire life is set up on a linear time fashion you know we get up we have breakfast we do this mm -hmm. we do that we go there with the bar there's no room in that 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 paradigm if you like there's no room for presence 
you know mm. there's no room to say actually it doesn't feel right that I do that today. I'm not, you know, my intuition is saying this is what I should do because this is when I'm going to attain flow and this is when I'm going to create this magic that's going to help me do this. There's no room for that. The imagination, you know, um, I got a great quote from Einstein. Um, imagination is everything. It's the preview of life's coming attractions. You know, as a kid, we can imagine anything. We can use a saucepan and pretend to be anything we want in the world. And we're so great as kids. In, we're in, brilliant. In and, it's and, like amazing. And, you know, hours will go in not yeah. seeming seconds because we're fully present, right? Yeah. And we're fully present, engaged with our imagination. And what happens as soon as we go to school, we're, we're called daydreamers and we've got to stop, we've got to pay attention. And I've got on medication. <laughs> yeah, well, this is, a, this is a big issue because my son, my youngest son, Lucas, has the most fabulous imagination. Right? And, and as parents, um, myself and my ex-wife have done all we can to foster that and encourage that because I think it's really, really important that we are able to utilize our imagination because so many of us lose that ability as we go through our lives. And we, we look at it as almost childlike and we shouldn't do it as adults. And I think that's the worst thing that we can do. But the school he was at, which was a private school, couldn't cope with the fact that he processed things and did things in a very different way from the average kid there. The average kid there was educated within an inch of their lives at school, had two hours of private tuition at home every night. We never did that for our kids. You know, we allowed them to play and be kids. And this caused real problems. Uh, Lucas didn't suffer. He did very well in these exams at that school. But the school really struggled with him. He got disruptive because they tried to close him down and pigeonhole mm. him. And he, he fought against it mm. because he enjoyed being in that space. And, and, and he was strong enough of a character to, to, to question why they would do that. Mm. You know, my work is good. I'm enjoying myself. I'm having fun. Why? And I'm not being disruptive. Why are you trying to stop me? And so they had this back and forward. And then um, it, they got in touch with, with my ex-wife who got in touch with me and they were saying that he's troublesome. He's disruptive. We think he's got ADHD. We want to send him to the doctor, blah, blah, blah. And all this kind of thing. And all it was, was that they weren't allowing him to use his imagination. Mm. We took him out of that school, put him in a state school, which is bigger. There are different types of kids. They encourage more imagination. They, they do different ways of learning. And he's flourished there. Yeah, they're giving him space, essentially, you know, yeah, less, yeah, less scrutiny. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And he's still doing really well in his exams. And he's still, you know, at the highest level in his classes and his subjects and whatnot. But he's still incredibly intuitive. He's still you know, loses himself in, in the present moment all the time. So he attains a flow state. You know, he still uses his imagination. He comes up with some really incredible stuff. He watches too much of dad. That's, that's well, what he does. I, I've tried to just... Be yourself. Rather than, yeah, rather than just say, this is how we do it. This, I've just tried to show him by example. It's not always been easy though, right? It, 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 you know... Uh, well, not, ego not, gets in the way. Our, our, yeah, our ego gets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's quite difficult being a father and, you know, you see, um, you know, my son's going to be 18 soon and, um, wow. yeah, so it's, I, I want to get in the way if you know what I mean, <laughs> you know, tell him no. And, but you've just got to get your ego out of the way and, and just let them live their lives and experience great it. Great teachers as well, kids, right? They're, yeah. Yeah. Of, of, of course. I mean, you know, he's my advisor essentially and i i get advice from him um 
and you know, and I know when it's when it's good advice, you sort of feel it inside. You think, do you know what? That's a really good idea because it just feels right inside. Yeah, yeah. But how many people don't listen to that? That gut feeling, that intuition. How many people? Well, that's all I've got to be honest, because um, because it's my gut feeling, isn't it? Yeah. Um, Rather than my processing intellect, which I've um, taken from other people's uh, suggestions, essentially. Yeah, no, I think that's a very astute observation. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, but, you know, obviously we need to plan for the future, learn from the past. So, you know, we can't, it's not just about being in the present. You know, we've got to have the whole package. Mm. Um I, I, I'm not a, uh, I don't disagree with planning for the future. I would add a caveat to that is to not be attached to one particular future mm. because it's mm. in our attachments that we activate ego. Mm. You know, in our attachments, we say things have to work in a certain way. And mm. if you look at neuroscientific research, that would indicate that you're coming from a fixed mindset where things have to work in a certain way. And when they don't go that way, then you get triggered, you get desperate, yeah. you get you feel resistance. And that's no way to create a future. For sure, have an idea of what you want to do. For sure, have an idea of what you want to create. Then get out of the way, you know, and allow the creative process to unfold and just go with that. Uh, go with what feels good you know you, you listening to your gut is easy if it feels good and you get good feelings and you feel joyful and you feel happy then go with it if it makes you feel if you feel resistance if you feel anger if you feel hostility all those negative emotions then step back question whether you think it's the right way you know that that would be how i would suggest it so are you against this kind of philosophy that you know you've got to step into your fear and you know you've got to do all the difficult stuff, um, you know, this well, kind of, sort of self-development yeah, kind I, of I, 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 notion. I, yes and no is the answer there, right? Because I think it has some validation, some, some, um, I, I think we've got to be careful though, how we phrase this. Um, the, the personal development industry is an industry mm. and mm. it's there to sell products and make money. Mm. Um, I tend to, when I got into this years ago, I, I looked at what was around and I got, I was very lucky that I got, um, steered in the direction of older philosophical writers, mm. you know, your James Allen, your Wallace Wattles, your Neville Goddards, who were all producing work that was outside of an industry. Mm. They weren't trying to sell anything. They all had mm. jobs. They were lecturers. They were teachers. They were church ministers. They had an idea that there was an observer. They had an idea that, that, that consciousness could evolve, that things were a reflection of an internal state. And they wrote about that. Mm. They wrote about it honestly. They wrote about it very poetically at times. But they didn't have an agenda. And when you read that, you notice a real difference from then to the, to the works today. Right. Now, I'm not saying that people can't earn money. I'm not saying that people can't coach and can't help and shouldn't be rewarded financially or however for it. What I'm saying is we need to be very, very careful how we, we, we process this and how we move forward. You know, what is fear, first of all? Well, you could say fear is an absence of love, right? Like what is darkness? Darkness is an absence of light. You know, you, you, 
you spoke of it earlier, the yin and yang of everything, right? Everything has an ebb and flow, an up and a down. We live in a relative universe, you know? So, you know, everything negative has positive to it and everything positive has a negative to it. So you, you're going to get that in every situation. If you go up a little step, you come down a little step. If you go up a big step, you can't come down a little step and hit the same place. You have to come down a big step. Hmm. So there is this, movement towards looking for big problems to solve taking big jumps in your life stepping into huge places where you're fearful of going because when you solve that the flip side is you make huge jumps in your life mm -hmm. but for some people stepping into that amount of fear brings up loads of conditioning mm -hmm. loads of worry and ego and strife and so on and so forth which makes it very very difficult and can actually have the reverse effect mm, right mm. can have you shrinking back even more mm, mm. you know fear is if if we're going to go with the okay let's go with this we know that all there is is energy mm. another word for energy is light right so all there is is light in the absence of light there's darkness Right? That's all. So really, does fear exist? Is that a concept that we've come up with? Okay, so it's a construct, essentially. Yeah, yeah. I, I, and, you know, doing things that we haven't done before, you know, we feel anxious, we feel nervous, we feel fearful. But by the same token, those hormones that are coursing through our body are the same hormones we feel we get excited. Mm. We just frame it differently. Mm, mm. You know, so someone can be really excited and someone can be really nervous. But actually, if you did a hormone test, mm. you'd find out that they were just pumping the same amount of adrenaline and, you know, cortisone throughout their body. They're just framing it differently. So it becomes a mindset issue. Mm, it becomes mm. how we um, look at it and appropriate it and, and, and square that circle, so to speak, and then say, okay, this is just a situation. I am giving it a, a, a reason. I'm giving it an identity. And that's where the power of, you know, presence and consciousness yeah. comes in. Yeah. Where you can yeah, look at it, you know. If, yeah. And also, you, you, we've got, we got to look at the social conditioning here. Mm. You know, we're told there's right and wrong, good and bad, mm. success and failure. And again, it's a point of view. Yeah. I mean, but there, you know, there's also laws and there's also these things as well, which also add adds to the context and adds to the construct as well. There are, and there are, but in order, see, in order for us, see, this is where the lines get blurred a little bit. And this is a big conversation. And look, if someone breaks a law that everyone agrees is a good law, they deserve to be punished accordingly. Let's mm. put that there for a start. Mm. Right. However, the role of consciousness is to evolve, right? Um, it's been said that the physical universe exists for consciousness to experience itself. Okay? okay. Now, as I say, it's been said. I've heard Alan Watts say that. We mentioned Alan Watts earlier. I've heard other people say things very similar. In order for it to experience itself, it has to have all the experiences. Right? So that means it has to experience itself as 
good, that means it has to experience itself as not so good and all the spectrum in between. Mm. So that's why everything has to exist. That's one way of looking at it. Mm. In that case, in order for us to grow and us to develop throughout our physical lives, throughout our individual journey, you know, we only learn, we learn more when things don't go quite as well mm. than we yeah. ever do when things go well. If we do something, things go well, we don't really take the lesson that we learned because it's too mm. easy. Mm. Right? It's when things go wrong, when we start to suffer a little bit, we then discover a desire within us to transcend that suffering because we don't like that feeling. Mm. So we learn more when we get a little bit of pain and we feel a little bit of suffering because I don't want to feel that again. That doesn't feel right. So how can I change that? Mm. How can I overcome that? Mm. You know, if you kept walking into the kitchen and stubbing your toe on the door, you'll, you'll soon learn to put slippers on, right? Yeah. Yeah. Which is a really reassuring um, outlook and mindset because it just makes you evolve on a continuous basis. And, and we've said that a little bit of pain and a little bit of suffering is wrong. But yeah. actually, it could be the biggest growth factor out there. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, that's, that's a really reassuring, reassuring words. And um, when, when did you come to that realization that actually suffering is... Well, not suffering, but sort of, you know, just a process of pain and... Uh... Because I was an athlete. Yeah, yeah. And um, when I was uh, a teenager, young teenager, I wanted to be a professional footballer. And so did every other kid at the time. I was a 70s child, right? And we all wanted to be footballers. And very, very few actually got the call. And um, my cousin was... British powerlifting champion in the seventies. And I had numerous conversations with him and he said, you know, as he had competed over, you know, in America and in the UK as a powerlifter, you know, he said, he basically said, it's who works the hardest, mm. you know, who get, he said, you look at, you look at boxers, you know, like even Muhammad Ali's been beaten, even Muhammad Ali's been knocked on the floor, you know, but you have to get up, dust yourself down and go again. You have to want it more than anyone else. So that stuck with me. That resonated with me when I was like 10, 11. And, um, you know, I just, I used to go out in the, the back garden, through the back gate, into the alley at the back of the house. There was a brick wall there. I used to have my football and I used to kick the football up against the wall and catch the, because I wanted to be a goalkeeper, right? And I used to catch the rebound. And I would do it for hours. Talk about being present. Talk about flow state. And talk about imagination. I just didn't kick the ball against the wall. I imagined I was at Stanford Bridge, Chelsea fan, right? And I imagined that it was... <laughs> I, it shows you how I had to use my imagination, right? Because I imagined that it was packed. And back then, Chelsea was shit. Um, so, um, I, and not only did I imagine the crowd cheering, the players all around me, I imagined the commentary as well, yeah. right? So, I had all... I was basically without knowing it doing all what you know the law of attraction teachers let's call them would suggest you do in order to manifest the reality right now basically if you don't subscribe to that what you could say is i just practiced relentlessly right every single day 
I call it deliberate practice. That's the science version, yeah. (laughs) The science version is I showed up every day, I focused on what I wanted to do, I made sure I paid attention because I was present, and I did exactly what I said to do, and I did it every single day. Rain, shine, snow, ice, wind. Didn't care. And she'd drive my mum crazy. I was coming covered in mud, and she would hose me down in the back garden before she let me in the house in the winter. Right? And I was prepared to go through that because my cousin, who I kind of idolized at the time, because he was so big and strong and rode a Harley Davidson and wow. listened to Led Zeppelin and kept snakes, you know, it's sort of like <laughs> this guy's a badass, right? <laughs> so I just just went and went and went. And, and as a result, you know, I, I got this, um, I, I'm going to call it work ethic for yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. This work ethic that if I wanted to really do this, I probably had to show the people I wanted to impress that I was prepared to do more work than anyone else, to improve more than anyone else, that I could bring more to them and their team than anyone else could. And by doing that, that enabled me to become a footballer. I did become a professional footballer. I didn't play for Chelsea. I played for Crystal Palace. Right. So I wasn't, although I wanted to play for Chelsea, I wasn't attached to only playing for Chelsea. Mm -hmm. If I was, I would have been offered a contract to Palace and said no. Right. I wanted to be a professional footballer. I would love to have played for Chelsea and Chelsea is what I imagine playing for. But I got offered the contract by Palace, took the contract, played against Chelsea at Stanford Bridge. It was empty. There was no fans there. Of course, but, um, you know, and I can remember getting on the pitch and thinking, my God, this is what I imagined. Yeah. And it, it, it's sort of quite, quite scary when it does actually happen kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, Scary is not the right word, but you just think, wow. Surreal. is, is Sur- Surreal. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I can also remember thinking, and bear in mind, at this time, I was quite young. You know, I was quite, I worked really, really hard at this. And I, and I, I progressed really quickly. Unfortunately, injury stopped me when I got to about 20. But, but, you know, I was playing reserve team football at 16 years old. And I was going to these grounds, Upton Park, White Hart Lane, you know, um, QPR, Loftus Road, you know, uh, Stanford Bridge, these kind of grounds, Ipswich, Portman Road. It was just insane, 16-year-old, just playing. I was just playing, you know. Um, and so You're I just enjoying the moment, being there. I was just there. enjoying it, you know. Yeah. Uh, um, um, it wasn't all plain sailing. Um, I identified myself as Paul the footballer. So when that was taken away from me, when I got injured, it was a long road back from losing that identity. Yeah, I had attached yeah. my ego to that. Yeah. When I wasn't that, it became very, very hard to say to people, I've been injured and I've had to stop. So that caused a few issues. So I had to overcome that as well. Um, you know, so the pain throughout the life has always been there. You know, I, I got married, I've had kids, I've been divorced. You know, you... <laughs> It comes at you. It's life. You can't. Yeah, yeah. We're not living in a cave in the Himalayas with no connection to humanity. You yeah, have yeah. to accept that there's good and bad in, in, in pretty much everything. And if we can do that, and if we can just look at it and say, maybe, like the Chinese farmer, yeah. then just maybe we'll get through it okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'd love to talk to you for hours. Uh, and I know you've got uh, hours and hours of content. Um, uh, on your different platforms, Fa- Facebook is the main thing that you. Yeah, that I've you got do. a couple of groups in 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 Facebook. If you're a guy and you want to look at uh, um, raising your level of awareness, which yeah. uh, I think is something that's very valuable these days to do as a guy, yeah. um, then you can join me in my group, the Uncommon Man. 
Um, and if you're uh, not wanting to go that route, and if you're female uh, and a guy, you can go into my Creating Real Magic group as well. Both free, loads of content in there. Yeah. Um, and yeah. you can connect with me there. Because, you know, uh, you do go very deep uh, into this. And, you know, you do need to get into it deep, essentially, and learn all these different uh, concepts and ideas and philosophies and ways of thinking and ways of being. Um, and, you know, we do need uh, a continuous barrage of this information, at least allowing us to be in that space, because the alternative is uh, is the ego trip, which is everywhere, which is like 99% of what we, of what yeah. we see. You yeah. know, it sort of tickles our ego on a continuous basis. So and that you know, leads to all sorts of problems, as we know. Yeah, yeah, at least all sorts of problems, and you know, all sorts of, um, you know, the the ubiquitous stress, uh, which has become synonymous with our daily living now, mm. uh, and pretty much all professions, not just doctors, but sort of, uh, you know, even footballers and athletes and politicians and you know. Uh, the list goes on and on and on. Um, as a sort of, you know, my my last question, which uh, I know you can give me a sort of an hour answer to it, <laughs> but um, um, you know these practices like yoga and like breathing techniques. Yeah. You know, um, are they useful? Do they help people be more resilient? My quick answer is yes, they do. My quick answer is yes, they do. Um, if the person believes they do. Right. Okay. Yeah. So, so belief is a big thing. So my answer, uh, my, my question after that is, is how can we increase our beliefs into being um, a more conscious I, being? I would start by saying, uh, go to the movies yeah. but when you go to the movies you know it's just light on a screen you know their actors playing a role and you know that the props they're using aren't real but you buy into it and you do that because you're able to suspend disbelief so if you're having trouble with believing just suspend disbelief stay present and just go from there excellent i love that shit suspend yeah it's disbelief. pretty cool isn't it yeah yeah uh, that's where I start with most people. Most people are so entrenched in ego that it's very hard to have them believe in a different way. So we just start by suspending a bit of disbelief and then just showing them little things. And then these little things, they grow and they develop and they see and they observe and they become aware. And the levels of awareness increases, their belief increases. Great. So non-believer and then become a believer. Yeah. 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 He, he, I, I have this thing, it goes doubt belief knowing most people are doubtful then they believe and then eventually they know see it's it's not good enough to conceptually know something you have to embody it you have to become it so don't act as if be as if when you become something you attract more of that into your life because you're just aware of that. You, you can go from the esoteric thing where your vibration increases and you attract more high vibration things in your life. Or you can just simply say from a philosophical standpoint, you don't take any shit anymore because you're, you're starting to look at things in a different way. Depends how you want to do it.
but it's the same thing, just different clothes again. It's been excellent, Paul. Thank you so much. Thank you very much for having me. Always a pleasure. Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode with the magnificent Sir Paul Webb. Um, I hope you suspend disbelief and believe whatever you think you need to believe. Do check Paul out. He, he, he produces a lot of content on his uh, different platforms, Facebook uh, mainly. Uh, I'll leave the links down below. And he's a really, really great guy to know. He's really down to earth, really approachable. Uh, and he's a decent bloke. And um, we need more decent blokes like Paul in this lovely world. Um, if you want to know more about his story, uh, you can listen to that uh, in the first season of the Surgical Spirit podcast, and I think it's episode six. So it's worth listening to um, that episode to learn more about his personal story, which is you know really fascinating. And also in, in the first episode, we do go deep into uh, consciousness and how the universe uh, works around consciousness. And I think that episode is like an hour and 40 so um yeah do check this guy out and i hope you enjoyed it leave your comments uh, somewhere down below or up above and uh, until next time let's keep our third eyes open take care guys